Scott, I have a pitch for you. Let's hear it. Uh, okay, this is a follow-up to a beloved documentary that chronicles the crippling and bleak prospect of climate change produced uh, by former Vice President Al Gore. Oh, boy. The sequel then takes a somber look at at the uh, adjustments made and, and progress made. Okay. And, um, and you're looking, why are you cringing? You know what? How about we not do that and instead maybe just look at our favorite movies of the last decade? Oh, that sounds way more fun. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the show that has analyzed, reimagined, recut, and all around just kind of did a redo of the last decade's worst films. So today we're going to treat ourselves to an intellectual victory lap and talk about the films we loved the most. Uh, I Have Some Notes is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB Financial. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Liam Kreswick. I'm another one of your hosts, Greg Beaver. I'm the third one of your hosts, Scott C. Bourgeois. And we just have a, a top 10 list of reflective, contemplative joy in store for you uh, today. Point of order. Technically, we have three top 10 yes. lists. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, precisely. We, we we did each come up with our own list of uh, top 10 movies from the past decade. Uh, we have compiled them. There's a little bit of overlap, uh, not too much, and so you'll be... A lot he- less overlap than I was expecting, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, we will be talking about just shy of 30 movies. <laughs> <laughs> so strap in! In yeah. here, in this, part one of a one-part series. Yes, we're going to do it two parts, and then we're like, let's just do it one. We don't need to... Uh, uh, belabor our, our adulation. We have uh, we have bad movies to get back yeah. to fixing. Plus, it's Christmas time. You guys yeah. have lots of time to to ignore your families and, <laughs> and listen, listen to, to a podcast. Listen to an extra long. I have some notes before we get into discussing our top ten lists. Uh, maybe a little bit about uh, the process of of deciding on these lists. What was what was sort of the framework for cutting these down? Well, Greg initially, when he pitched us doing this, made it very clear he didn't want to break it down by, like, best movie of each year. Mm -hmm. He wanted our overall 10 best of the last decade. And that is very hard to narrow down. Yeah. How do you pick just 10 good movies from 10 years of movies? That's... I'm still not completely satisfied with my list. Yeah, I had to definitely... Yeah, I I think that's to be expected, too. Do you guys have like a particular criteria for for calling like cause like for me it was it was all about emotion about like it wasn't it wasn't technical it was just like it, the it had to mean something to me uh, in order to make it onto the top ten list and I and I generally like as I went through like I I, I came up with seventy movies mm-hmm. that were candidates for for this list and i and i generally like it, like if i didn't feel that extra special something then it wasn't making the top 10 did you guys have any other like methods for developing your list or was it was it technical yeah mine uh i definitely similar approach emotional or ones that i remember the experience because that's really what what a movie is is it's like you you give yourself over to this experience for an hour and a half two hours hour and a half two you know whatever uh, and the ones that I felt like took me on the biggest experience, show me something I hadn't seen before. The ones that I think about to this day, um, I, th- you know, the, the best movies, quote unquote, best probably won an Oscar of some kind along the yeah. way. Like, 
you know, no no slight to like spotlight. A great flick, but like I don't know why that's the one I'm picking up, but like just like <laughs> none of mine are like technically good movies. <laughs> they're just great fun. But or they're great and memorable. They're your technically good movies. Yeah. Cause art at the end of the day is subjective. And we're all going to bring a different perspective to the movies that we've chosen yeah and i mean that's that's true of anyone like Mm -hmm. you can't it's hard to look at someone's 10 favorite movies of a decade and be like you have terrible taste in movies no they have their taste in movies. yes yeah and while the three of us as greg mentioned earlier on have some overlap on our lists surprisingly there's quite a lot of stuff in here that each of us brought to the table where even just looking at Greg's list, I was like, oh, that was a great film. Oh, that was a great film. Yeah. They, didn't, they weren't on my list, but they were still good. And it was nice to be reminded. Yeah, of and it. that's kind of the best part about an exercise like this where it's like, you, you know, you get to you get to see everyone else's perspective. And, and it makes you it makes you start thinking about your own choices. Even making this list, because I, I rate and review movies on uh, Letterboxd, which is a great app, which is getting a free plug right now. Um, And while making the list, I started with, well, what were the movies that I rated the highest over the last 10 years? Uh, And then that actually made me reevaluate some of them where I was like, is that one really worth five stars? Maybe it's only worth four now that I've sat on it. And there were a couple where I was like, I only gave that movie like three and a half stars. No, that movie, the more I've sat on it, the more I like that movie in retrospect. And I'm going to bump it up. So, Did you guys run into a situation where you found a movie that you remember liking a lot but could not remember enough of the movie to uh, to put it on your list. It's all, one of them's on my list. <laughs> Where I'm like, I know this was good, but the, the last part of it was such a haze. Um, I legit for a couple of the movies. Like I, I when I was doing my uh, homework yesterday, I went through and, and watched a bunch of the trailers just to remind me of what uh, the movies were all about. And 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 in a couple yeah, of cases, I, I actually exactly. I actually read the Wikipedia plot summary just to like I was like I should make sure I know the ins and outs of this movie, which sounds weird, but like, yeah, I mean, like it is 10 years worth of movies and like, you know, if you haven't watched it in a while, it's amazing how much of it gets dumped out of your brain. Yeah. Yeah, I watched the trailers to all the movies on the list for, except for ones that were like, you know, super, I did not need to, like, I didn't need to watch the trailer to, I won't say anyone's list, but like, yeah, it was, it's definitely like a feeling of wanting to like, because I don't usually watch movies more than once, so most of the movies on my list I have seen more than once, and I think it comes from a wanting to like grab someone and show it to them. Yeah. Of like, yeah. you got to see this. Look what they did. So cool. Like, yeah, I'm not a huge movie rewatcher. I don't know if that makes me, me less of a film buff in some people's <laughs> eyes, but like, I think it, I, I just um, there's certain things that I love rewatching over and over again, and and generally there are things that are like really comfortable mm-hmm. and dumb <laughs> like uh, like star trek like i watch star trek over and over and over again and there are definitely certain movies that are in that vein um but movies are to me are more especially in the age of like streaming where uh, like watching a movie is more of an investment because they're generally longer and and you know i have a, i'm kind of a completionist so i like i want enough time to watch said movie once i've started it so it's a lot easier to rewatch like ep- like short episodes of star trek or some sort of sitcom so i mm-hmm. end up not wa- rewatching movies over and over again there are some movies that i objectively loved wa- when i watched them that i cannot bring myself to watch again because they were difficult movies to watch. Mm-hmm. And while I, I like it was an excellent movie, I don't know that I'm ever going to be in the mood yeah. to watch that movie again because yeah. it's such a downer or it's yeah. just, it's got 
like it's got such heavy uh, uh, themes or something, and it's yeah. just like oh, I, mean, I can't bring myself. I'm to watch probably it not going to watch Twelve Years a Slave again, for yeah. example. Like it's just which not to say it's bad. Yeah. No, yeah, it's the one excellent. I, that's funny. The one I was thinking of was uh, the assassination of the of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. And I'm like that was I'm, I patted myself on the back when I watched that one. Like I did it. I watched, <laughs> I watched the whole movie, and I just find like every time, like even though we're all people who clearly love movies, watch a lot of movies. If you go and rewatch something, that's time you didn't have to watch a new one. And I'd always rather see something I haven't before. And I think that actually is reflected in my list. I love movies that show me something I've never seen before. So. And I think that, if anything, is a great segue to get into it. Yeah. yeah. Let's do our top ten list. So we will be uh, revealing them, basically starting with rank uh, number number ten. Uh, each one of our number tens. But should there be any overlap, uh, I believe the plan is to sort of wait until the individual who had it higher on their list uh, gets to that that rank and discuss it from from that point. So, yeah. All right. Uh, so we're gonna start with uh, with Greg on this one. Uh, Greg, you your number ten of the whole ding dang decade was Edge of Tomorrow, a movie few have watched. Surprisingly <laughs> few. Yeah, it's a. It's a an excellent uh, action movie. Now, it is worth noting as well, you may have seen it under the name Live, Die, Repeat. Yeah. Because it's got a different name. Yeah, which is another reason probably why uh, nobody really watched it. I guess, they, I guess they felt that Edge of Tomorrow didn't accurately depict what the movie was about. And, and, and if I'm not mistaken, Live, Die, Repeat was like the tagline to the, the movie originally. And then they decided, well... That's just a better name. So, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it uh, stars Tom Cruise and, and Emily Blunt. Um, it's just an action movie that does all the little things really well. Um, the main character is a piece of shit at the beginning. He has to go through, um, you know, a journey to become more heroic. Um, Emily Blunt is like the perfect foil for his character because she's so accomplished and gives a shit about the world and and what's happening to it um and it has you know a wonderful uh classic sci-fi premise the groundhog day uh type premise and um and all those things combined for me it's just i just i i loved it i've watched it a couple times and um and aesthetically it looks great as well yeah solid solid pick Mm -hmm. honestly and one that I hadn't really considered, although I do definitely like this movie. Like yeah. it's a, it's a good, fun sci-fi action movie. Uh, I I'll be honest. I and these might be words you can throw right back in my face later in this podcast, but I have a hard time watching anything with Tom Cruise in it. I just really you know it's funny you say that because Aaron feels the exact same way. She now like I've tried to get her to watch Ezra tomorrow multiple times, and she just will not do it. The, yeah. I'm I'm gonna. I'm going to point out something that I've said online to someone who expressed this a similar opinion, just like, I can't watch stuff with Tom Cruise because I don't think he's a good actor. And I was like, I'm going to stop you right there. Tom Cruise is an excellent oh, actor. Oh, he's a fine actor. Say what you will about anything else about him. Oh. And there's tons to say. He is good at two things, acting and running. Yeah. Three yeah. things, putting his life on the line for his movie. Yeah. Like, those are the three things he's great at. And you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't watch some of the Mission Impossible movies, if you don't watch Edge of Tomorrow, like, he's good in some of these movies. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not his acting that I have a beef with, and I've used up all my cognitive dissonance on Beck, so <laughs> uh, I just, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's a he's an actor for me. I think that somehow manages to transcend most of his failings because I re- I respect his commitment to the uh, the craft so much. And 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 the other thing too is like if you watch him in in interviews, especially if you have an opportunity to see something where he's a bit more candid, he's genuinely a nice guy, and I think he's got a reputation for that as well in the in the industry. So like it's it's he's kind of a guy like yeah all the Scientology stuff is like real problematic but he's kind of like a guy that's a little bit tough for me to hate at the same time Fair. or dislike hates Fair a strong enough. word yeah. uh, fabulous well let's uh, let's move along to Scott's uh, number ten pick uh, which was cabin in the woods are you aping the uh... <laughs> The, it, the title sequence? No, I'm, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> the title sequence was actually a jump scare. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Um, Cabin in the Woods is uh, probably one of my earliest picks. Because uh, it's 2011, so mm-hmm. it's right at the start of the decade. And it has stuck with me as just an excellent deconstruction of horror. And not just of horror tropes, which many other films have done, but of horror as a genre and horror movies specifically Mm -hmm. because it's framed as when you boil down to it it's framed as a group of people making a horror movie for a hungry audience and how it can all go horribly wrong and further to that it's got a great cast it's excellently written and directed it's a super tight script that keeps impossibly escalating itself in each act like it starts out with an obvious premise and then it introduces elements that pay off in the second act. Yeah. And that further introduces elements that pay off in the third act. And I don't have a bad thing to say about it. I went and rewatched it more than once in theaters, which oh, wow. I can't say about many movies. Yeah. And the only reason I think it's on my number 10 spot is because I really liked it. I think it's excellent. And it's just been so long that it's kind of slowly shifted down my list. Yeah, that's fair. But I couldn't not mention it. Uh, it is one of the smartest, sharpest horror movies, I think, in the last decade. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's pretty good. It's a trip. Yeah, without spoiling, like it didn't. It doesn't end where I think you think it's going to end. No, it, it doesn't like, go anywhere you think it's going to go. And yet it, it is following so many tropes and cliches. Like It's yeah. a weird balance to walk. Uh, now, my number 10 uh, appears on one of my co-hosts' lists uh, at a much higher rank, or maybe a less higher rank, we'll find out. Uh, the, the whole thing is we're going to sort of play coy with that. Uh, I'm not going to say what the film is. I'm not going to say whose list it's on or where it will fall. But at some point further down this list, my number 10 pick for the past decade will be revealed, and I will enthusiastically talk about what I liked about that film when we get to its place on my co-hosts' list. Uh, so I guess we're just going to move right into uh, number nine then. Uh, we'll start with my number nine, since I didn't get to do it, Tan. Um, uh, mine also was a subversion of horror, though uh, definitely a different uh, take altogether. Uh, what We Do in the Shadows. Uh, I, I also included this on the list because I have not got to go see Jojo Rabbit yet, and I feel might um, might have made my list, but I didn't make it to the theater in time. Uh, so uh, What We Do in the Shadows, I had to put on because it just... It, it, I, I, I love trope parody uh i'm a big fan of uh, like like the venture brothers one of my favorite cartoons uh and this is sort of in that vein of like taking things we rules that we already know about something absurd and exploring them to their logical conclusion and it's just comedy 101 uh and uh, tika watiti does an excellent job with this vampire parody 
Um, if you haven't seen what we do in the shadows, it's uh, three vampires, four vampires, uh, who have all become vampires at different times throughout history and over the course of uh, uh, the centuries have ended up living in a flat situation with each other in New Zealand. Uh, there's one who's incredibly old, Nosferatu style, all the way up to someone who's like 100 years old. It's great. And it's just like this weird sort of roommate comedy with vampires. Like they can't go into a bar unless the bouncer invites them. It's hilarious. I don't know. No, absolutely. I, I, yeah. Really, really, really good. Um, I don't think... It, did Taiko Tritti direct this one or no? I believe so. Yep. Okay. I mean, there's... <laughs> I Let's actually... check our facts. Oh, I have it right here. Um, oh, directed by Jermaine Clement and Tiko Waititi and the first installment in the franchise. Yeah. I had I had three in my in my big list of 70 movies. I had three Taiko Waititi movies that were candidates for yeah. my top 10 list. The guy is a machine. I can't wait to see what the next decade. Of, yeah. Like, I think he's going to be a presence in, in films of the next decade oh, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, his, his star has only continued to rise too. Yeah. He's, he's directed Marvel movies. He's directed some episodes of the Mandalorian. Yeah. Like he's, he's making that uh, Disney money now. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's not nothing. Yeah. No, not at all. Sooner or later, someone's just going to walk up to him and be like budget, whatever, yeah. do whatever you want. I mean, technically they kind of did that with Jojo rabbit. Yeah. Yeah, uh, shout out to the soundtrack on this one as well. I'm a, I'm a bit of a uh, Gogo Bordello fan, and the <laughs> fact that they're they're the soundtrack to this. Uh, this movie just everything about it's a delight. I watched it before Halloween this Halloween. Uh, some friends and I got together to watch it. And it was fun watching it with a bunch of people in a room who some of whom hadn't seen it. So yeah, highly highly recommend what we do in the shadows. Uh, number nine though for Greg. Um, I was trying. I was trying to think of a shadow segue, and there isn't one, so I won't. <laughs> My number uh, nine is the only movie that has been an episode on this podcast, <laughs> and yet still made it into my top ten. Um, uh, Interstellar. I, I I know that Interstellar is not perfect, and I know that in my brain, but I actually find ways that I find it difficult describing why it's not perfect. And if you listen to our episode of Interstellar. Um, we, we actually tried to rewrite it in several ways and often just ended up talking ourselves out of those rewrites. And I think that's kind of a testament to, to the movie itself. Yeah. Weren't we challenged to do interstellar by someone? Uh, I don't recall. I also don't recall. Uh, Yeah. But I remember we all watched it and we're like, Oh, that, that was actually a pretty good movie. It's very good. And I think, um, like uh, it's it's fairly obvious that you know it, this is Chris Nolan's Odyssey movie and and I actually feel like he largely succeeds and like and and like the the scope of it and how epic it feels in places um, and I think the uh, the the themes maybe like the the theme of love I think maybe is the only place where the movie kind of kind of fails a little bit but just like I just enjoy the the premise and and the performances and. And uh, the visuals so much that it was just inescapable that it was going to make it onto my top ten. Amazing, good cerebral science fiction is just good usually. Yeah, yeah. good brain food. Good. Yeah, it, it, it sticks with you like it gets it gets its claws in you and you kind of can't shake it. I, I don't. I don't want to put you on the spot, nor do I really want to like blow that there is a movie that did not make any of our lists because so, I'm going to ask you about it. How does it compare to Inception, which was a 2010 movie? Yeah. Um. I remember being in the theater, and when the the top 
is spinning and then it you know and then the and then you get the cut right yeah i remember a friend of mine turning around after that and he was like perfect and it was like that little that the the movie the inception itself is just like as a as an action movie it, it is almost that it's just almost perfect but i just don't feel like it, it it felt like and this is true of a lot of nolan movies where the emotional punch of it was lacking and if there was if it was just a little and now granted inception is probably one of his better emotional movies but like mm-hmm. the i i don't know there's if it, if it went and like an extra mile to hit me in the gut a little bit more i i feel like it might have made my top 10 fair enough cool yeah i just uh was re- reviewing movies I was like oh shit inception was 2010 how did we yeah did i we mean there's a lot of it yeah. was a really good decade for yeah. movies uh now scott your number nine uh appears on someone else's list yeah it's uh it's somewhere a little higher up on someone yeah else's so we'll uh, in the same way my 10 will be revealed later your number nine will be revealed further in the list. So, so we'll, why don't uh, we just do number eight? Let's go to your eight. What, yeah, you, sure. what did you have for number eight? <laughs> My number eight pick is Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, this is a stop-motion animation film by mm-hmm. Travis Knight. Um, and it is stunning. It is uh, a great story about um, this boy who goes on an adventure. Um, it's about family. It's about uh, redemption and it's so well put together uh-huh. that it's just a visual feast and it ends it ends beautifully like i'm not going to i'm not going to say that i didn't have tears in my eyes when it was over uh but more than that i mean even just contemplating what they had to do to put the movie together blows my mind stop motion animation ta- is is truly a labor of love in this mm-hmm. day and age yeah and the fact that they made one that is so technically perfect that you could believe that it was cgi is mind-blowing and they they pull back the curtain a little bit during the credits yeah and show you what goes into what they do and it's astonishing and just as as an animated film as a film overall and as a technical testament to a dying art, uh, it was gorgeous and it deserved mention as far as I was concerned. And that's why it made my top 10 list. Yeah, it is absolutely gorgeous. I didn't, it didn't um, work for me on the, on the, on the story levels as much as I think it clearly did for you. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's an impressive feat. Yeah. And uh, I think that, that company overall because they did like box trolls and yep. stuff like that too right so yeah i mean they are uh they are the, i want to say the, it's leica are, animation yeah they're on the vanguard of, of stop motion animation now um how's this movie gonna hold up if people haven't seen kubo and the one string <laughs> uh I, you know what it stands pretty much by itself uh you don't need to have seen kubo and the one string yeah. to, to really grok what's going on okay this sweet yeah. again um no i i'm uh especially given the choices on my list um I'm. You, you might find it surprising. I haven't seen this one. I've heard very good things. I, I regret not getting around to see it, so I'm definitely going to be checking it out, uh, especially considering some of the choices I made. So, but um, yeah, I really that like spectacle is kind of like the, what I what I look for in a flick, right? And yeah, damn, I, I wish I had wish I had watched this one. Well, it's not too late. Yeah, because it, it exists. I think it's still. on Netflix too, isn't it? Uh, I believe it is. I think actually. it is. I have it on. I have it on Blu-ray. Yeah, because of course I do because I loved it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think you can find it on streaming. And if you have you, not seen it, 
devote devote some time to it. Check it out. You should actually ask Scott to borrow that Blu-ray oh. because I have a feeling that um, that getting the full quality of this movie as opposed oh, to the stream yeah, yeah. might actually be worth it. Uh, so it's actually very coincidental that you chose a stop-motion film for your number eight because, <laughs> coincidentally, I have a stop-motion film uh, for my number eight. And it might not even be the other... If you're like, if your listeners are like, what, well, what other stop-motion... It's actually not that one. I loved it. Almost made the cut, but not the one you're thinking of. It's uh, Anomalisa. Um, I don't know if did either of you see Anomalisa? I know of it, but I did not get a chance to see it. I am in the same boat as Scott. I, I just enjoyed this movie so wonderfully. It is also a stop motion film. There are only three actors in the film, uh, and it's basically just this story of a um, a guy who does sort of uh, corporate pep talk like seminars. Travels from town to town. Is very lonely very disenfranchised with his life. And the way they sort of personified depression in this stop motion film is by having all the other characters he interacts with have the same puppet face and the same voice actor doing variations of like, oh, I'm a flight attendant now. Hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cab driver now. But uh, it's the same puppet face for all these interactions he has. Again, really detailed labor of love stop motion. And then he hears a voice and sees a face that stands out from the crowd. Uh, and uh, what starts as a very sweet romance movie, kind of like a, a Lost in Translation vibe, um, uh, quickly just descends into like animated madness okay. uh, and the medium of animation. Because you're watching it and you're like, why isn't this just shot like a movie? Because all the scenes are like boring hotel rooms and like two people sitting and talking with a glass of scotch. It's the third act where, like, yeah, it's just it's a it's a trip. It's really wonderful. Um, it's great. Do you, any other Charlie Kaufman flicks you you can speak to? No, mm, not off the top, my not head. On the top of my head. No. I, I do have a weird history of because his stuff is real heavy and hard to chew on, and I have a bit of a history of watching his films uh, with uh, some inebriate, including I saw Synecdoche, New York, when I was in my like early twenties. I don't see go to the movies drunk very often, but I was like jacked up on like margaritas and went and saw Synecdoche, New York. On that's an interesting choice. Yeah, yeah, it was. I don't. I had to watch it a second time because it did not did not stick. Um, but yeah, check out uh, check out Anomalisa in any state of mind. I watched Being John Malkovich when I was nineteen, and uh, and I remember loving it, but I probably didn't understand it. Yeah. I probably just loved it just because of um, of the, the the premise alone, and yeah. like. Um, but I, I feel like that's one that I should definitely uh, take up again, um, you know, and see it with more smarter and te- intellectual eyes. I guess the the withering. Forty-year-old uh, eyes of mine. <laughs> yeah, I, I quite liked being John Malkovich uh, when I saw it, um, and I'm curious because I haven't seen it in years. I'm curious if it actually holds up. Uh, what stop-motion animated film did you pick from the break, Greg? <laughs> well, uh, I don't know where to go with that segue, so I'll just say that my number eight is Jojo Rabbit. Oh. <laughs> um, I almost didn't want to put this on my list because it's so recent. And, um, uh, but at the same time, like I felt like I saw it about a, like a month and a half ago and I, and I, and I felt like I had enough distance on it and enough time to reflect on it that, uh, that, uh, and I loved it so much that it just felt like it belonged. Um, it's, 
it's funny, it's irreverent, it's poignant, it's weird, um, and touching all at once. That, um, that Taika Waititi style. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, it's it's also like a movie for our times because apparently we have to be reminded that Nazis are bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and I and I and I also kind of like enjoyed that like the Nazis were all like buffoons in the movie, and um, like I get like. You know, the German army is is much more complex and terrifying than that. But at the same time, it felt apropos that, like, you know what? This is the Nazi. This is what the the depiction that Nazis deserve is to be. That's... uh, That's kind of Mel Brooks's ethos. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whenever he made movies that had, like, Springtime for Hitler in The Producers is about Nazis being buffoons and how that is what they deserve. Yeah. And that's his way of of uh, taking them down a peg and and laying bare the absurdity of the spectacle that they surrounded themselves with. Yeah. And I I totally get that Jojo Rabbit is doing the same thing. Like that's the that's the level of satire and parody that he's working on. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. And Taika Waititi himself as Hitler is just. A joy. <laughs> it's so it's so very very good. Yeah, great great stuff. Most realizing, I think earlier I said Tico and TT. Uh, no one corrected me, um, but that's fine. We knew who I was talking about. Yep. Yeah, I'm excited to see that movie. Uh, feel bad that I haven't. There's a couple movies that are in theaters now that I'm like, oh, they might have made the made the list. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I kind of feel like Knives Out might have made my list, but I haven't seen it yet. But Scott uh, tells me it's very good. It is very good, and it is not on my list only because of recency bias, <laughs> and I'm concerned that I would be like, nope, number one movie of the year. <laughs> yeah. When in fact, I only just saw it, and I'm still high on it. So that's uh, I we appreciate your uh, thoughtful candor. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, number seven. Let's do it. Uh, I feel like we should have like a bing number seven, like a like a Rick D's in the Weekly Top Forty situation. Doesn't matter. Uh, mine uh, was I, I love animated films, just truly and deeply, as evident even by my last pick. Uh, so my number seven choice for best of the decade was Into the Spider Verse. Uh, I was just blown away by the aesthetic, the animation, the premise, the everything about it i i like i love mashups like crossovers like crossover comics i remember being a little kid uh and like holding on to the very first super smash brothers for n64 and being like link is fighting mario like that's everything i ever wanted (laughs) and that's kind of like this is gives me those kind of tingles of like this idea that like the the idea of a multiverse and how it got explored and how it got you know uh, old spider-man and miles Morales. it was great i love that movie it is a solid choice, and uh, I'm glad that one of us picked it, yeah. even if it wasn't me. I, I um, kind of put it on there to be like, no, we're not not talking about this. Um, <laughs> and I'll be honest, I just cut Birdman. I was like, you know what? Birdman had its moment. We're good. And later, Birdman. Into the Spider-Verse. Let's talk about Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse is a movie that could not exist outside of its medium. Yeah. Like it, is, it is an animated movie that leans so hard on being an animated movie that it transcends itself in a, in a beautiful sort of way. And it looks like reading a comic, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is brilliant. And it its thesis is that there's a hero for everyone. Yeah. And everyone can be a hero. And that's kind of beautiful in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it's a touching movie. Um, and I think there are 
parts of it that like um, you know, it, you can keep, kind of keep going back and appreciating. Uh, it was pointed out to me, and I didn't notice while I was watching it, but as Miles Morales gets better at being Spider-Man, the frame rate goes up. Yeah. And I was like, that's so cool. Oh, that's <laughs> it. That's a level of, of technical mastery going into the film that is that that actually reaches the level of genius. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just an incredible film. So highly recommend if you haven't seen it. Uh, Greg, what animated movie did you pick for your number uh, uh, seven spot? I picked this. I, I did pick an animated there, this movie. This time, this, uh, there we go. Set up. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I picked a, your name. This is a, this is an it's anime. Liam. Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, I, I'm sorry. You're, you're very funny. I will stop. I'll, <laughs> I will pack it in. <laughs> um, this is a, a, a movie that kind of has like a, a sort of like a freaky friday body swapping premise and and then it, it like about halfway through the movie another extra sci-fi sort of element is introduced and it completely changes the story and it's just like it's so it's such a, a fun r- ride while also being like just a just a beautifully animated movie. Oh, absolutely! Uh, in every possible way, and then being and then be also being a movie that's in, like incredibly touching, uh, and and very sweet, um, and in and heart wrenching in places as well. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I can't recommend it enough. It, it has to be seen to be experienced. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see it in the theater uh, because Cineplex occasionally will just be like, "Here's an animu." <laughs> and, and an animu <laughs> and throw it up on the big screen uh and we saw that they they had your name coming up and anita and i were like we're gonna go see your name because we had heard great things about it and it was fantastic and if you have the chance to see it on the big screen it is an anime film that is deserving of that honor. right like it it works on a big screen, it's because Greg is absolutely right. It's beautifully animated. And just great. It's okay. a great movie. Solid choice. Yeah. Well, how about your number seven then, Scott? Well, uh, my movie is not technically animated, but there is CGI in it. Uh-huh. Uh, for my pick, yep. for number f- number seven. seven. Oh, my goodness. Remember <laughs> when I went number seven? Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I had switched my app. Because I have notes in, di- in a different app, and I've lost track of what number we were on. My number seven pick yeah. is Paddington from 2014 by Paul King. This is a movie that I like more every time I see it. And that is um, uncommon for me to say about a family movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, because family movies, I find, don't tend to age super well. There's a very small list of family movies that I saw when I was young that I still think hold up. And obviously, I didn't see this one when I was young. Yeah. But in the last decade, this is the wholesome family movie that I have gone back and watched again and again. And I find something new to love about it every time. Mm-hmm. It's wonderfully cast. Paddington is such a, a great character. It's just, it's a wholesome movie with this wonderful message about like acceptance and just positivity uh, that you don't see a lot like the movie's not mean Mm -hmm. if that makes sense because a lot of a lot of films that you see nowadays and a lot of films indeed that are that are targeted at kids are mean yeah um or there's like a meanness to them and this movie flies in the face of that and 
I know some people who say the sequel is better. I disagree. I think the first one is better. That's just me. They're both great films. If I have to pick one of them to be on my list, and I do, <laughs> it is Paddington from uh, from 2014. And if you haven't seen it, it's a great movie to show your kids. Like, they'll probably have a blast. You'll have a blast. It's just fun. Yeah, I've heard very good things. I want to say it's either a YouTube channel I watch called Just Right or Nerdwriter. I forget which one did it, but they did a they did a deep dive on what made that movie so wholesome. And this isn't necessarily my observation, but when I, I certainly piqued my interest was that he's one of the rare static characters that teaches the people around him to change. Yeah. As opposed to a character that goes through an emotional change or an he, arc. He does have an arc in the film. Yeah. And that's, that's true. But he, the impact he has on the people around him is so positive and mm-hmm. so wonderful to watch that. And it's, it feels so earned that by the end of the movie, when the characters have, turned into better people like spoiler alert yeah um it feels well earned and it it's it's cathartic and it's emotional and it's beautiful to see very and it's it's also honestly a funny movie like there's a lot of stuff to laugh at that's wonderful so yeah paddington is is a solid movie um it might sound sound like a weird pick for me to put a family film halfway up my list but have you watched it with your family of course My son is uh, is still a little young to fully grok it, yeah. but I mean, he thinks it's funny and colorful. Nice. So, yeah. and Anita and I both like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Solid choice. I have, like I don't for me like there's genre does not matter. So whether yeah. it's a family film, drama, whatever, like anything you know that you have an emotional connection to. That's perfectly fine to throw into the top ten list. Indeed, I also love the movie we're going to segue into. Uh, is this a movie about someone learning to be better? <laughs> Who's to say? Uh, Greg, what was your uh, what was your number six film? <laughs> well, um, I, I suppose that um, I mean, is this a movie? Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's OJ Made in America, and I realize that this is a documentary series. Um, and the only reason I'm including it here is because other uh, film critics have decided to call it a movie and I'm just following and I don't have any grand pronouncements about or, or intend to justify it as a movie, but that's the only reason I'm including it in mine. And, 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 and it, it's, I, the reason I wanted to include it is because it, it you know, it affected me in, in such a profound way. Um, you know, like uh, OJ Simpson and the LA riots um, were all things that were happening when I was in my early teens. And, you know, I, I understood kind of the broad strokes of them, but I don't think I ever understood the the underpinnings of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, much like a movie that's further down on my list, um, it Made in America helped me to understand um, the world better and to fill in the blanks around, um, you know, some of these events that happened during my teens that, and just and really made me be able to understand them better. And, you know, they... Um, you know, uh, tying um, O.J. Simpson to um, the civil rights strife that was going on, you know, in the late '80s and and in '90s, is um, you know, it was it was fascinating to watch, and, and I think just helped me understand that struggle. Very interesting. Did either of you guys watch it? I no. have not. I'm sorry. Uh, you absolutely, it, you must watch it. Okay. Absolutely, must. that's that is a solid recommendation. I, I would say it's like I would say that it's it's important for you to watch it. It's, okay, it's that. So it's it's about a lot more than than OJ. That's correct. Okay, sweet, cool. I'll uh, have to check it out. Yeah, um, Scott, 
Hit me with that. Number six. Number six. Uh, I have picked Blade Runner 2049. Mm. Um, I know that there are a lot of people who didn't think it was a great sequel to the Harrison Ford classic, Mm -hmm. but I disagree with those people. I think it was uh, an excellent follow-up. And further to that, I think it was just a beautiful movie to watch. Um, Some of the most astonishing cinematography that I've ever, like it's rare that a movie makes me stand up and notice what I'm being shown, if that makes sense and, and how I'm being shown it. And this movie Every, you might have said this earlier in the yeah, podcast, yeah, every yeah. frame is a painting. Yeah, I'll be using that later to yeah. justify a there's, pick. There's only one movie, <laughs> there's only one other movie on my list that I think has as good as or maybe better cinematography, but this one is astonishing. Mm-hmm. I think it's very well acted. I think it's well crafted. And I think it's smart science fiction. It asks some interesting questions about what it means to be people mm-hmm. and what makes some people more people than other or or if it even matters and i i left the theater like still dwelling on the movie i was still dwelling on it days later and well i think maybe a little bit of the shine has come off since i saw it a few years ago Mm -hmm. i'm I'm maybe not as high on it as i was it might have been higher on my list if we were making this list two years ago sure but it's still solidly in my top 10 for the for the decade Interesting. I, um, I, I mean, again, like it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, the the opening sequence is um, just an incredible piece of cinema in by itself. I think. Um, I I really enjoyed um, the the arc between um, uh, handsome Mick. Dreamy face. What's his name? Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Who, who? Spoiler alert. Appears again in my list. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and and AI intelligence. I found that particular part of the story um, uh, really compelling. Um, all the other elements. I'm not sure that I I loved. Um, the one thing that I uh, that was really really interesting uh, uh, choice from Denis Villeneuve is like like the whole movie is this, these incredible uh, you know uh, cityscapes. And wonderful cinematography, and then the climax is just this incredibly narrow, dark scene that's like basically lit in a circle, and that's and that's what you get for the climax. And I think that was an interesting contrast. Yeah, no, it's it's a smart movie that's smartly made, and I can appreciate that on multiple levels. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah, I uh, yeah uh, didn't make my list, but I also only watched it just recently. Uh, quite, uh, I did like it though. I think. I would have been something if it ended up in your list, though. Yeah, it would have been. He <laughs> uh, turned it off and started recording the podcast. Uh, I, yeah, I watched it immediately before we recorded this. But I stand by my what I'm about to say nonetheless. Uh, I think Ex Machina had a little more. didn't make my list, but it had a little maybe more to say about. Um, Ex Machina was also very good. And, yeah. uh, and a movie, one of those movies I'm sorry, surprised didn't make our list. Mine, it, was, it, it kept showing up and then leaving and then showing up and then leaving. So uh, I just I couldn't. I for like the, for the dance sequence alone. Yeah, you could argue that it er, it deserves to be in any top, anyone's top ten, list. <laughs> and yet here it is in none of our in list. none of our lists. That's the kind of decade of movies we were looking at. There were some wild cuts. We'll definitely have to uh, discuss close calls and 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 miscongenialities at, at a, a future episode, perhaps. Uh, but my number six before we uh, take a little break here uh, was uh, a film called Baby Driver. Um, I loved this movie. I love Edgar Wright. Uh, I. 
as, as you'll start to see of a trend on my movies, I like movies that make big, cool choices. And the fact that this has a soundtrack of like not a score, but a soundtrack that runs through the whole thing and informs all the scenes I loved. I liked uh, the energy and the kineticism of the chases. They were interesting chases. The first, the opening scene is up on the internet. If anyone has never seen this movie and you just want like a taste, honestly, that whole first opening scene is kind of like you were saying about uh, um, Blade, uh, Blade Runner. Runner. Yeah, Blade Runner. Uh, it's its own perfect little movie, yeah. uh, that first chase scene. It's just great. I, I loved it. Um, disappointing, obviously, the cast, uh, uh, you know, uh, not, you know, Kevin Spacey's in it. No, right. And then yeah. after this movie came out, you know, yeah. Kevin Spacey's, we're done with him now. Um, but I, I just liked it too much. To, I had to overlook the fact that he's in it. So, also, John know, Hamm. It's, it's a good movie. Yeah. Also, uh, John, I love John Hamm, and he needs to be in more movies. Yeah, objectively, it's, gr- it's a great film. Uh, Edgar Wright's really sharp and kinetic directing style works really well for a car chase movie. Um, the cast is great and uh it sets up it sets up a mid movie twist that i'm not going to spoil yeah in such a way that it happens and it and it was inevitable mm-hmm. like you, you don't expect it's going to happen and then it happens and you're like oh that's the only way this could have gone yeah and it's it's just chef kiss it's very good solid pick it's uh it's not my uh my favorite um uh, Edgar Wright movie. Um but it's uh, I I appreciate all the elements that uh, the that came together in putting this movie together. And I didn't I did enjoy myself in the theater quite a bit. Um there's I have some misgivings about the the ending a little bit, but the, other than that, yeah. You know, it's a uh, it, you know, it's a solid movie and I and I and I really I just enjoyed Edgar Wright immensely. Yeah, me too. Uh, he'll he'll definitely appear in a couple other mm-hmm, lists as mm-hmm. we move on. So. I believe that is the case. Uh, but why don't we, uh, we we've covered our top ten uh, for the decade uh, and set up sort of what we're going to be doing here, and we'll be uh, getting the top five of the list as well as the ones that were on your and my list that we'll be addressing later, uh, perhaps when we come back from a break. We ask these children if they know when to go to emergency and when there are other options. If you got in a car accident or like having trouble breathing, I would go to emergency if I had a really bad hockey skate cut on the neck. They're there to treat people that are really sick or really hurt. If you have an emergency or if you're not sure, we're here to help. Know your options. Call HealthLink at 811 or visit ahs.ca slash options. Welcome back. I I had it and then I saw it on the corner of my eye. (laughs) For those who are just tuning in, Liam went to introduce the second half of the show at the same time that Greg cued him to do it and totally threw Liam off. (laughs) And it was very hilarious. Um, Ah. Top tens. Yeah, are we keeping this? I think we're keeping it. Uh, yeah, we're into the top five of our top ten lists uh, of the movies of the decade, uh, and we're uh, we're gonna keep it right along as we discuss uh, not just those top five, but also some of the ones that appeared earlier in the list for some of us and higher in the list for the others. Um, I believe actually there's only one film that overlapped all three ways. Uh, I am gonna tease that. I think that's a that's a neat detail. Uh, yeah, but let's get yeah. right into a uh, uh, number five. Uh, Scott, what did you have down for your fifth favorite film uh, of the decade? My fifth favorite film of the decade is a heady sci-fi movie mm-hmm. uh, that delves into some uh, some deep themes and is mm. quite smart and cerebral. Mm. And uh, it is. 
Annihilation. Oh. <laughs> it uh, it was kind of a toss-up for me between this one and another uh, another cerebral sci-fi movie, mm. which may or may not appear on other lists. Uh. Um, but uh, Annihilation is the one I went with because I... I'm a big fan of cosmic horror. That is a very difficult genre to translate to film. And it's not been done well a lot, but when it is done well, it's striking to me. And Annihilation is the closest film that I was expecting to ever get to seeing H.P. Lovecraft's short story, The Color Out of Space, actually represented. And I mean, it's a very different story, but it's got a lot of similar motifs and um, choices that really stuck out to me. And I say that with with the addendum that Nicolas Cage is starring in an adaptation mm. of The Color Out of Space, which comes out early next year, which looks amazing. Uh, but up until that, this is what I thought I was going to get. And I think it's really well done. I think it's got a good cast. I think it's got an interesting story. It ends on an interesting note that is more important than is everyone an alien and is more about rediscovering yourself and rediscovering the people around you uh, and coming out of trauma to get there because all the people in the movie are deeply broken and deal with it in different ways and are consumed by it in different ways in a very real way. And that spoke to me for some reason. I don't know. I I can't, I can't explain it beyond that. The movie, the movie was smart. It was sharp. It was visually good. And it was a cosmic horror movie. And that's why it took my spot over the other cerebral sci-fi movie that everybody loved from this decade. So Um, I'm going to use this movie to, deride something also uh, a little bit of spoilers so if you uh, if you have not seen annihilation just skip ahead a little bit if you are one of those people who makes youtube videos that are in the vein of the ending of annihilation explained fuck you because (laughs) (laughs) you don't know what you're talking about i've seen videos where (laughs) they try and decide whether um Natalie Portman or what's his name? Sorry, what's the other actor's name? Uh, Oscar Isaac. Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Whether they're whether they're aliens or not doesn't matter. Yeah, not the you point. missed the point. That's not the point. Completely. Yeah. It's a movie about loss, and specifically in in Natalie Portman's character's uh, case, like the loss of the relationship, and like the fact that like she, you know, she became something different at the end of her. Basically, it's just a metaphor for like the end of her relationship. She's still the same person, but different, right? And yeah. that's how we all are once once we go through um, a, a loss of some type. And and as I had stated before, it's it's a movie that focuses on people who have experienced loss and who are trying to cope with it. And most of them are consumed by it. And Natalie Portman finds her way through it. And that's what the movie's a metaphor for. But... It's just it's smart and it's well done and I liked it. I nice. liked it. Nice. And it's it's visually it's it's amazing. Um, yeah, quite. Yeah, it's the the um, the horror elements of it. The the bear is just like the most 
um, terrifying uh, <laughs> thing that I think I've ever seen put to film. Um, right. It's it's worth it's worth checking out. Mm-hmm. It might be a hard watch for some people, and if you're if you're squeamish about horror, okay, maybe give it a pass. But if you're if you're willing to deal with some horror elements and you want to see what I certainly think is a smart sci-fi mm-hmm. movie, you can't go wrong checking out Annihilation. Or perhaps you can if you're Liam Cresswick. <laughs> oh, I didn't dislike. I just was like, I feel like I was giving you a little bit of gears about choosing this and perhaps not another film, but I'm not I'm not down on Annihilation. It, I was just like, it was, it was good. I liked it. Um, <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. Uh, it, it, was, is, it is a polarizing movie, I find. Like, some people really, really dislike it. And I can kind of understand it when you're th- when when the movie gets to its climax. Um, it, you know, that part is not going to be for everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would argue that Interstellar is polarizing in exactly the same way. Sure. Yeah. There are a lot of people who quite like it up until that climax where things get weird and then for them it kind of the the bottom falls out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and I think Annihilation is kind of in the same vein as yeah. Interstellar in that sense. Yeah, yeah. and I, I and some I mean you can you can just something to be said about you know being controversial. Like if your movie doesn't evoke any emotion, that's probably the worst thing it can do, right? Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Uh, my number five, uh, I I just I loved this film. Uh, I went and saw it in theaters twice. Uh, because I had to take, like I was saying before, I had to grab someone and be like, you haven't seen this, you've got to see this. Number five, I went with Get Out. Uh, I I am not a big horror movie fan. Uh, I don't watch a lot of horror movies. I have a very low tolerance for, like, bad ones. Like, I'll watch a bad comedy, I'll watch a bad, you know, sci-fi movie, but I can't do schlocky horror. This is not it. It's so good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the premise, the acting, the payoff, the pacing, um, especially the pacing. It's like there's never a dull moment uh, in, in Get Out. Yeah. Um, again, tiny bit of spoilers, so maybe skip ahead. But I think what I really appreciated about Get Out um, was what it did to me as a white person. <laughs> and, and what it did was, okay, so there's, you know, there, there's a, an entire family of, of white people that um, the uh, main black character goes to visit. Uh, and he's with his girlfriend and throughout the movie you're you're getting more and more of a sense of like you know all these white people are shitty and (laughs) i was i was desperately hoping you know how like there's so many white savior movies out there right yeah and like i think ingrained in me is this sort of like expectation well surely there's got to be one good white person in this movie Uh right surely someone will make me feel better about myself (laughs) and my whiteness and and it it does not let you get away with that at all and that's that to me is is the the best part of that movie a little bit of a, a little bit of a culture lesson for me it obviously obviously is a a commentary on on race but i i do think from a horror perspective it does a good job of like like yeah, there's like there's a lot there to reflect on as a white person, but you also absolutely empathize with the main character. Oh, and for like, sure. well, I don't know what it's like to be the only black guy in a room in a community full of white people. I do know what it's like to feel like an outsider and feel unsafe because of it. Yeah, uh, and that's I think a pretty universal theme, and I think they got right to the meat of that by using race uh, in a way that was really interesting. Um, it 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 yeah it it's it. I love that it has lots to say about race and was a fairly universal t- 
type of of fear yeah. that feeling that yeah. like it's pretty rare for a horror movie to get nominated for an oscar let alone win one yeah and that is a testament to how just whip smart the script is yeah. and how poignant it is um and it's using horror trappings to tell a bigger story and that's always that's always good that's always interesting that's one of the reasons why i picked annihilation yeah um and so, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good choice. Yeah, love it. Uh, Greg, what was your uh, number five? My number five is uh, The Handmaiden. Uh, this is the uh, 2016 Chanwick Park movie. Um, Chanwick Park is the director of, uh, of Old Boy, if, um, if you're not familiar with him. Um, and then The Handmaiden uh, is very much similar to Old Boy in the way that it has these kind of wild twists that are equal parts incredibly compelling as well as like depraved. (laughs) Um, And it's just, um, it's just a a really gorgeous, gorgeous film. Um, Really well told. Um, It's probably um, the most erotic movie that I've ever seen that isn't pornography as well. So if that entices you to go see it, (laughs) you know, please do. Have either of you seen it? No. No, I watched the trailer when you posted. I hadn't even, hadn't somehow went completely yeah. past my... Put it on your list. Yes. Uh, let's move on to our top four. Uh, we'll start with me, because that's what the notes say. <laughs> um, my number four movie uh, was Sorry to Bother You. Uh, uh, did either of you... I have seen it. I have also seen it. I, I love this. I, I, it's so weird, and it's so... It does so much by being absurd... And that's why I love it. Yeah. This is a movie that takes you somewhere that you don't expect you're going to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the body horror elements of it are. Uh, yeah. Spoiler else. alert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it's pretty well, obvious we got spoiler alert throughout this. I mean, the ending definitely goes. It, it's funny they if you watch it a second time they allude to the ending, but they're real subtle foreshadowing. It's um, it's a movie that starts at like five and takes you all the way to eleven. Yeah. It's. Uh, and, and you're right, it is bizarre. It's it, a weird movie. I, I had to go back. I went, much like we were saying, go back and reread Wikipedia's or watch. And so I watched a couple of little thing pieces on it again just to refresh myself on, on what it was I had loved so much. And, and yeah, this idea uh, that, like, the reality that they have is so obs- – like, you can only view reality through an absurd lens and a sort of a magical realism – and the farther away you get from uh, the reality of the situation, which this is all a metaphor for uh, prison industrial complex and and white privilege and uh, capitalism, uh, you get a good look at it by standing in the absurd position and viewing it through that lens. Um, yeah, the, 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 it's, it's really it's one of those movies you can tell people what it's about, but you're not really telling them what it's about. Yeah, this is a movie that... No words we speak will do justice to. Yeah, yeah. Like, technically, it's about a telemarketer who works his way up the company, but it's got like themes of socialism and and uh, uh, unionizing um, the you know prison industrial complex in America. It's and horses like you've never seen. Yeah, it's kind of uh, got like a Citizen Kane art too. A little bit, yeah. yeah. It's it's a weird, quirky movie that you should probably check out. Yeah. And and the thing that again it, it's sort of a theme throughout my choices. I love weird visuals. It's something that you can get a great story in a million different places, but you it's only in film that you can get great story and a certain kind of incredible visual element. And I think through pretty much all of my picks, a stark visual choice is something that sets a good story apart from another good story. Right? Yeah. 
So yeah, uh, sorry to bother you. Greg, number four. Uh, Skip it. it. It's showing up later. Son of a bitch. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So Scott, what was your number four? My number four pick is a movie that kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people. And I bring it up a lot because I sincerely love it. And Mm -hmm. it is called The Nice Guys. It's from 2016, directed by Shane Black, starring Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe as an unlikely but astonishingly great duo. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's a really fun private eye movie. Nice. Um, it's Russell Crowe plays like a hired goon. Uh, Ryan Gosling is this down on his luck private eye, and they stumble into uh, a murder investigation that turns into this grand conspiracy. And it's, the movie is carried on the shoulders of Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling in a way that I can't do justice to because they play off each other so well and the movie is so well put together and the peripheral characters involved in the investigation are all colorful and interesting and the story is funny. Like it's genuinely laugh out loud funny. I mentioned earlier on there are a few movies that I have gone and seen more than once in theaters Mm -hmm. because I liked them so much. And The Nice Guys has the distinction of being one of them. Oh, wow. And I adore it. And I think it's a crime that so many people haven't seen it because it is so good. And uh, at risk of totally overhyping it and putting it at number four in my top ten of the decade... I think it's great. I think it's worth seeking out. I don't know if it's streaming right now, but I think it is. It's and not on Netflix. I did check because I was going to watch it in preparation for this. Uh, if you can find it, watch it. And then watch it a million more times and tell them to make a <laughs> sequel to it because I want to see Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling team up again as these characters. I um, I think um, Ryan Gosling's um, chops as a comedic actor are actually incredible he he kills it in this movie he does and russell crowe plays a pitch perfect straight man to him yeah and it it, like it works and it's a it's a again it's a a pairing i never would have in a million years expected to like as much as i do yeah and it's uh shane black was uh kiss kiss bang bang right correct correct Perfect. Yeah, I've, uh, I think I dropped uh, one of those names earlier. Like either just right and nerd writer to sort of armchair YouTube philosophy, not philosophy, uh, like armchair film criticism channels that I like. And he he was hyping up nice guys in a big bad way. It was a movie that I think like six people went and saw in the theater, <laughs> and two of them were me going to see it twice. Yeah, it's it's the the, the billing of it's weird. I'll be like, I wouldn't have expected that. And in like a and it's like a period piece too, right? Yeah, sudden, yeah. It, it just like. I think maybe audiences didn't know what to make of it. Uh, well, I'll tell you what to make of yeah. it. It's a damn fun movie, and you should go check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, um, what is it called? Uh, El Royale, Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh, yeah, which like, I have not had a chance to I mean, to they, see. they're not necessarily similar movies, but just in the sense that, like, you know, they're um, period movies-ish, and they both are kind of a, a throwback to movies that might have been big successes in maybe like the 80s and 90s but because like everything's a big budget affair in theaters these days they don't uh, they don't get, uh, necessarily get the audience that they deserve so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but moving on to number three uh, Greg you we got you here 
my number three is 13th. It is the uh, Ava DuVernay uh, documentary on the, uh, the 13th Amendment and the abolition of slavery and the prison system in the United States. And, and um, there are a few pieces of media um, that managed to, to shape me as a, as a person. And um, one of them I, I count as something that's profoundly shaped me as Anita Sarkeesian's um, Tropes vs. Women in video game series. Mm-hmm. Um, that just opened my eyes to, um, you know, how, you know, how things are, are, are for women, how they, how, you, know, you know, how they perceive themselves in video games and, and, and like the, the massive, you know, sort of like imbalance in media when it comes to how women are represented. And um, that has uh, profoundly affected me. And then similarly, the 13th did um, the same thing for me, where it, you know, it, it draws a line between um, slavery and the current state of uh, the U.S. prison system. You know, the fact that, like, the, the, the 13th Amendment, uh, like, left, it, like, opened up the door to allow, that basically said, slavery's wrong, except if you're in prison. And then you, it can be used as punishment, right? And and um, that um, basically led to the incarceration of thousands, if not millions, of black folks, right? Um, um, you know, it had to, it, it it shook me. Um, it's a really incredibly put together uh, documentary. Um, a lot of great um, um, voices um, contributing to it, um, and it just you know had a lasting effect on on uh, on me. Right on. Incredible. Yeah. I watched, uh, I have not seen it, but I did look up the trailer and I'm like, this looks like a somber affair, but an important one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't watch too many documentaries, admittedly, um, but that sounds like something worth checking out. I'm a a big, big, big documentary film watcher and and it shows on my list because there's two of them on my my top 10 list of of the last decade. But yeah, I think like much like OJ, this is like one of those, one of those movies, like it's just important to, to see it. Yeah. That's uh, that's valid. Um, definitely uh, makes your and my top three slot look pretty uh, uh, pretty shabby and pretty juvenile, uh, pretty <laughs> immature. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna move along to, to to Scott's number three. My number three movie is the only Marvel film to make any of our top tens. It is Avengers from 2012, directed by Joss Whedon. Um, and that's probably just had a whole segment of our listeners groan. Um, now, I, I understand Marvel fatigue. I get it. Um, but in a vacuum, Avengers is an achievement. And I feel like it deserves mention because of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it's such a, a good achievement and such a good movie that that's why it, it makes my top three of the decade. And that's because it did what should have been impossible. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it stuck the landing. Uh, I would argue more so even than some of the more recent Marvel big crossover, crossover yeah. tentpole films. Um, Avengers did it first and probably did it best. Yeah. Um, it, it proved the Marvel experiment can work. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me by itself is mind-blowing. That you could take... Uh, a bunch of disparate movies and then make them dovetail into one another and tell a really good and interesting story. And 
Yeah, okay. They've stretched that taffy pretty thin. Yeah. <laughs> and will continue to do so until the Earth is burnt up by our exploding sun. But Avengers is a good movie, guys. It's a good movie. And it it deserves being on someone's top ten of the decade list, and it's gonna be mine. So <laughs> I I almost uh put Avengers Endgame in my top ten just to acknowledge the enormous feat that uh, Marvel and Disney have accomplished over the last 10 years. Um, uh, I ultimately decided not to do that, but I'm glad that, you know, someone decided... <laughs> someone someone to, fell on that grenade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it, it is, you know, culturally, it's going to leave a lasting impact oh, yeah. on uh, on us, right? And, and, and it's still obviously still having a, a very heavy impact. Um, who knows what the next decade will bring? Will it bring you know another? Will it be another decade of superheroes? I kind of doubt it. In in many ways, the 2010s were the decade of the Marvel movie, yeah, yeah. and and the big and and the big shared universe. And mm-hmm. Avengers is what made that happen. Yeah, and like kudos, to Ed. tipping my hat to Marvel. You did it, you crazy bastards. You pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, I did the exact same uh, thing Greg did. Of like, I couldn't. I like the Marvel, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is so good and I love so many of those movies. I couldn't find a way to meaningfully put them on my list that I thought it would be easier to leave them out altogether and at some point acknowledge that the shared universe, multi-film, multi-character, tentpole spin-off franchise is it's been it's def- it has been a part of this decade yeah. of film if in a way that you can't put one of the movies on the list i just didn't bother if this was a top 10 most influential movies yeah. of the decade number list one with oh, yeah. avengers would be number 1 no yeah. question um and yeah for me it's also kind of a stand in for some of the other marvel movies that i really liked I was in the last do decade for just that reason uh black panther was very good guardians of the galaxy was very good i'm a i'm a big fan of all the captain america movies yeah. i think they're all great um, but Avengers was what coalesced the whole thing together. It really and was probably peak. Yeah. So there you go. Avengers is my number three pick for top 10 films of the decade. Also another movie that I saw more than once in theaters, yeah. actually. It's just so good. <laughs> it's a point where I'm almost being like, I should have just put it on there because damn, those flicks are good. Like they're just like that. When I was going to put Endgame on my, like that scene when he's like, it's a bit of an endgame spoiler, sorry gang, but when he's like looks over and says, Hail Hydra, and I saw the movie opening weekend, Endgame, the audience like lost their mind collectively, <laughs> like a packed auditorium, and I'm like, that took a decade to get to. I, yes. Like what I'm glad I got to be here for it in this yeah. moment. You know what I mean? Like Captain, it, you only got that opening weekend. I, I think you know what, what I, mean? I think what is probably most impressive to me that that, that Marvel accomplished was that um, the story was almost incidental from movie to movie. You really just wanted to go to the theater just to hang out with your your superhero friends again. Kind of, yeah. Like the, 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 the dynamics that they built between characters and, and, and having the foresight and bravery to change those dynamics dramatically over time. Well, and even to uh, explore different genres in the yeah, different movies. Yeah, exactly. And like and and so it was it made even though none of these movies are like, you know, Oscar worthy or any of that or or apparently not uh, barely top 10 worthy. Yeah. As it, as it turns out, like they're they're still just an an immense amount of fun and you, and you can never take that away from them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you may, you might think that they are they don't offer much artistically. 
Uh, I mean, that's not how I would how I would characterize it. Some people do, but like, yeah, you can't take away how fun they are. Yeah. Sorry. And there and there is something to be said about fun movies about yeah. having fun at the movies that experience right that's what i was yeah. saying at the I mean, time. that is after all why you're going there yeah be entertained. in theory yeah <laughs> for some people for some people star wars fans maybe yeah. not so much <laughs> uh my number three choice uh, which i'm just going to point out was also my delayed number nine pick yes so my my uh number Three was Scott's number nine. Not uh, in no no relation to our old pal Scott here, uh, but Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, I I love this movie. I love it because it's a great movie, and I was the right age for when that movie came out and those books were in vogue. Um, I was Scott Pilgrim's age. I love the comics. I remember reading the comics and being like, I related to those comics quite a bit uh in a way that was like it might sound gauche to say but like that is what it's like being a white 23 year old love struck idiot like you know it's not a unique you know it's not a it's not necessarily a struggle but it's it's a kind of struggle but really like those comics like resonated with me in in a way that not a lot of other media even media that has a white male protagonist did for me uh and then to see it on film done so well with so many unique choices uh second edgar wright movie on my list because i love the choices he makes, I love the the visuals, uh, and this movie was just so damn much fun. I've seen it three or four times. Uh, love it. it and, it's probably a testament to like you know like that representation that you feel like it can it can help you understand why it's so important for you know other people to be represented, you know yeah. other minority groups to be able to, to like what it means, how powerful it is to see yourself represented on film yeah. like that, right? Absolutely. And, and uh, it. it has a profound effect on you and everybody deserves that everyone des- deserves to see themselves represented on screen uh scott pilgrim also made my list mm-hmm. and not for exactly the same reasons as it made yours but um it is it is a perfect edgar wright movie it's not necessarily his best movie but it is so like it just has his stamp mm-hmm. all over it and it's a great example of the kind of movie he makes. And further to that point, it is the only live action comic book adaptation I've ever seen that looks like a comic yeah, book. Yeah, it nails it. Yeah. It nails it. Like, in a way that no Marvel Marvel movie has ever managed to pull off. No. Um, it looks like reading a comic book. And it's quirky, and it's funny, and it's star-studded yeah. at a time yeah. when a lot of these people weren't yet stars, yeah. which is just mind-blowing. Anna Kendrick, Ellison Brie, and yeah, Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's delightful, and if you've never seen Scott Pilgrim versus the World, you should probably check that out at some yeah. point. It gets it gets better over time. Do you feel that way? Yeah. Like the more I watch it, the more like I remember getting out of the theater and like that was okay. But the more times I watched it, the more I was like, oh, this is actually awesome. Edgar Wright is um, one of those special kinds of directors who packs so much into every frame. Like the movie is really dense. It's like eating cheesecake Mm -hmm. and you're not going to get it all on the first viewing. You really do have to kind of go back. And this is true with a lot of his films too. I find when you go back and rewatch them, you notice new stuff every time. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, was that there? Like the last time I watched it. Wow. And I love it. I love, I like pretty much all of his movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Scott Pilgrim was definitely a, a standout for me. Yeah. 
just incredible movie. If you have not seen it, please go see it. It's great. Uh, that's into number two. We're on the home stretch. Uh, number two uh, of the whole di- the whole damn decade. Can you believe it, Scott? <laughs> what was uh, what was your number two? Well, I'm going to preface this by saying that the 2000s, the late 90s and 2000s, were uh, a time when people saw a lot of action movies, yep. and uh, one of the kind of action stars of that era was a guy by the name of Keanu Reeves. Mm, I'm familiar. And he was seen as kind of like a bland, milk toast action guy. Um, but somewhere in the last decade, Keanu Reeves transcended that and became a cultural icon. <laughs> and I think a large portion of that comes from my number two pick, John Wick. Uh, John Wick... To, uh, 2014 by Chad uh, Stileski uh, and kind of like the the whole Matrix stunt team yeah. um, put together this fantastic action movie. And it can be hard to get through the first like act for a lot of people because, spoiler alert, there is violence to animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sets John Wick on a path of revenge. Because this is a movie about a man writing an injustice done to an innocent. Mm -hmm. In this case, a puppy. And finding redemption through doing that, in a way, for for his own past misdeeds. And it is shockingly violent. uh, And brutal. And just really well made from uh, an action movie standpoint. Like, it's fast. It's hard-hitting. The gunplay is really well choreographed uh the stunts are all really great the car chases are fun um it's just wonderful and further to that the characters are all well fleshed out and i point to this movie regularly as a master class in world building because you start the movie knowing very little about who these people are and what is going on and you are intimately familiar with this world by the end and it doesn't necessarily stop to explain much to you a little bit but not a lot it shows you stuff Mm -hmm. and allows you to infer what's going on and you learn about the world in that way and more movies should learn to do that john wick is great it's a great action movie and it's better than its sequels (laughs) which which i do like but I don't think that they quite hit the bar that John that the first John Wick movie set for itself. It's, and it's but it's a high bar. It's a very yeah. High bar. Like there's a reason I picked it as like this is one of the picks for my top tens that I have no reservations about. Yeah. John Wick is my number two movie of the decade, and I will I will stand by that statement. Yeah, I, I mean it probably could have made um, my top ten as well. Um. um I actually have a hard time explaining why it didn't <laughs> more than I would explain being able to explain why it is. But like, yeah, it's just, um, you know, it's like um, Edge of Tomorrow. It's like one of those action movies that gets all the little things right, gets, you know, sets up, um, you know, your your need for revenge. Um, you know, and, and it, you know, the the opening act is, is actually quite slow mm-hmm. um, and does a great job of, of um, teaching you about everything that you need to know in order to in order to get on John Wick's side, right? Yep. And then yep. and, and 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 really really want to see him yeah. get that revenge, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, yeah. And then and, and you know, like you say, Scott, just like um, all the stunts are just uh, thoroughly entertaining. 
Um, the subtle world building is great, um, which I think is probably the problem with the sequels is that the subtle world building became um, extravagant world building <laughs> and that was like not as fun. So um, it kind of made it a little less cool. But yeah, it, like the, the overall, the series is okay too. Uh, I don't I don't begrudge the sequels too much. I just don't like them as much as, uh, as the first one. Which is basically the same boat I'm in. Yeah. And the first one is a standout. It is yeah. worth checking out. Absolutely one of the highlights of the last decade. Certainly in action cinema. And yeah. that's, that's, that's sort of why I picked Get Out of like, you can take or leave a genre, but sometimes there are movies that just like transcend the genre they are in, yet still do that genre to the nines. Like, yeah. And that's one of them where I'm like, again, actually, I'm not a huge like gang action movie or military action. Like I like a superhero movie, sci-fi, but just like you know, expendable style, like action for action sake, action movies don't really, but this is just, it's so next level that you can't deny the feat of filmmaking that it is. Yeah. And the, the, the thing you're saying about the world building, I think my favorite moment is the first time a cop comes by yeah. and is like, Oh, okay. Yeah. See you, Mr. Wick. Yeah. A, a, <laughs> a cop shows up because there were murders and he's like, Oh, Hey John, you, uh, you're working again. And he's like, nope, this is just this is just a thing that happened. And the cop's like, all right, well, we'll see you around. And he's just like, in that you, little exchange, there's so you much. Learn, yeah, you learn that like so the much. cops love him. And, oh, just, I don't know yeah. if they love him, but they're or afraid, just, of, afraid him. of him. Or like, <laughs> just so he's got a he's got an understanding with the police. Yeah, like yeah. there's it's and, so good. <laughs> but and all of the dialogue in that movie is like that, where it's yeah. just like, oh, there's more going on here. What is that about? Yeah, action movies. Not a lot of action movies have like intense subtext yeah. like that. Yeah, that's wild. That's great. That's which great. the sequels turn more and more into text, which is again why Greg and I are a little a yeah. little cooler on the sequels. Still fun action movies though. Worth checking out. <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, well, my number two uh, is somebody's number one. So we're gonna just move on. <laughs> also, I believe it was uh, actually. I, I, you know what? I'm gonna spoil it a little. It's it's, uh, it's Scott's number one because it was Greg's number four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My four or. Greg's four, my two, we'll get to my it. My number one, we'll get to it. We'll all have a good talk about it. We'll all have a good just it. chat about it. It's that one of those movies. Greg, uh, what was your number two? My number two is uh, is Molly's Game, Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut. Um, from a director's standpoint, this, probably, this movie is probably fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I am a huge, huge fan of Aaron Sorkin dialogue mm-hmm. specifically, kind of like in the same way that I'm a, I'm a really big fan of um, Kevin Smith's dialogue yeah. specifically. Now, like both of those guys are, are, are can be problematic in in different ways, and and a lot of a lot of people don't like uh, Soren. He's kind of like OK Boomer personified, I think, in some ways, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I just I just love his uh, his writing. And Molly's Game is essentially like a ton of great performers. Uh, uh, just speaking his words, and it's it's so thoroughly entertaining. There's there there's little masterful um, um, sequences within the movie that are that are really tight and, and could be their own nice little short film in and of themselves. Uh, and it's and overall, it's a really compelling story. And I and I love um, poker movies for some reason. I was gonna I, ask, are you are you a poker yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah. I play, I play poker. I don't really play in the casino or anything like that. But I I I've, I've long played poker with my friends um we're growing up we were a huge fan of rounders i don't know if you've seen that um matt damon and uh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um so 
this movie was kind of a little bit made for me <laughs> in, a, in a way um yeah it's um it's a, it's really good um if you haven't uh, haven't seen it uh, definitely check it out sweet uh well we're into the number ones number one mm, number ones and i'm uh, i'm pretty i'm spoiled in the number ones in that uh both of these movies appeared earlier in my list for your your selection so i get to I get to really uh, uh, sink my teeth into all the number one discussions. Uh, so I guess it makes sense then to start with my number one choice. Um, I'm grinning ear to ear. Uh, this is uh, definitely a controversial pick to make. Uh, it's a controversial choice. Is it a good movie? Uh, some people did not like it. Is it's a controversial pick to make any kind of a top ten list? I put it at number one. Number one. <laughs> because I love... I love telling people to watch it. I want to grab my friends and make them watch it with me. I've already done. The first time I watched this film, I was like, I need to call my brother as soon as this is over because he, uh, if, if no one else in my life, I know my brother will love this film. And he did. And we showed his roommates and it was divisive amongst his roommates. Uh, and I am now on a war path. I went and bought the DVD to just show this to as many people as I can. I, I fantasize about renting a theater to just have, be like, Metro, will you please show it again so I can bring all my friends? I'm overhyping it because uh, I, I, it needs it. <laughs> uh, my number one film was The Greasy Strangler. Uh, the Greasy Strangler, uh, sort of, it, you can't really describe it. Kind of like, sorry to bother you. You can t- It's about uh, a father and his ineffectual sort of dullard son uh, fighting over a woman. Um, but that is so tangential to the visual feast that you are given on screen that it's it's not really about anything. Um, it's deranged. It's gross. It's uh, crazy, raunchy practical effects. Before we started recording, you described it as if Wes Anderson was trying to make a trauma film. Yeah, if, if Wes Anderson and teamed up with uh, Tim and Eric oh, there you go. to make a trauma film uh, is really... And, and I would recommend the less you know about it, the better, other than you might hate watching it. Um, it was uh, uh, directed by an individual named uh, Jim Hoskins uh, and uh, produced, uh, among other people, by Elijah Wood. Uh, it was, uh, I think, an exclusive to the Fantastic Fest Film Festival the year it was released. Um, I just, every, like we were talking about earlier, every frame of painting, uh, every detail in this movie was done with care and thought and humor at its core, but the result of that care and attention to detail is depraved, gross raunchiness. <laughs> uh, and so if you like, you know, kind of, kind of a Tim and I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to compare it to Tim and Eric, but that's probably the closest mainstream thing you could latch it to. Um, but it's really a beast of its own nature. Uh, the soundtrack is deranged. In fact, if you wanted any kind of taste of it, any of our listeners were like, what is this guy talking about? Don't watch the trailer. It'll fuck up your expectations. Just listen to the soundtrack. And you'll get a pretty good idea of what you're in for. Or watch uh, this director's other film that came out a couple years later that has uh, a similar tone but not as gross and has a, uh, like, Craig Robinson and Aubrey Plaza are in a film called uh, An Evening with Beverly Loughlin, which is uh, this director's follow-up. That is, to my understanding, I haven't haven't been able to get my hands on it, but it's not as gross-out deranged, so... Did you any? I, I know neither of you no, saw it. No, no thoughts. <laughs> no, no, I have much. To, I know the we watched a, 
uh, clip from a, a TV show that he's producing. This uh, this director, and uh, it looks sufficiently wild. Yeah. So so I had a, I got a taste for what I would be in for <laughs> with the Greasy Strangler. <laughs> um, it was actually part of uh, Edmonton has a great uh, film festival called Dead Fest, and it, they showed it at Dead Fest to mixed reception and even uh, I, I apologize I forget the individual's name but one of the producers of Dead Fest who runs the lobby here in Edmonton when I went to order this from the lobby he was like yeah I remember when we picked that it was uh, it was divisive but we show and that's when I when I went and saw this film it wasn't at Dead Fest it was like the follow up in like January where they just Metro put it on a, a second time uh, I saw it with Sean Gramiak of the Movie Jerks uh, another movie podcast and then two friends Brett and Pete and I from about 10 minutes into the movie to 15 minutes after it ended, I was in tears because it was just like nothing else I had ever seen on film. And that was the criteria I had for all the movies on this list. And that's why this one made number one, because it's like no other movie I've seen. So I will I will quit gushing because I've definitely overhyped it. Hey, but no, this is your number one. You get to, yeah, you get to gush I, a little extra longer. It's, that's it is. You can't compare it to anything. You will remember it forever. For better or for worse. The Greasy Strangler. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's move on to number two. Uh, or number, not, number two. Number two the, the second, number ones. <laughs> the second number one from uh, Scott. Now, this is a movie that appeared on all three of our lists. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was number four for Greg. It was number two for Liam. Yeah. It is number one for me. I believe it to be the best film of the last decade. It is... Mad Max, Fury Road, 2015, George Miller directs. Yeah. It is astonishing. It is an astonishing piece of filmmaking. It is a, and I don't use this word lightly, masterpiece. Masterpiece. It is George Miller executing a perfect movie. Uh, It is perfect visual storytelling. It is perfect cinematography it is perfect action it is perfectly acted Allegor- and directed. perfect allegory for our times and perfect allegory for our sci-fi times. speculative fiction yeah yeah like it it hits on all cylinders and car <laughs> metaphor unintentional uh and it just it does not stop from the beginning to the end it's just always on the go and it's uh it, i i i can't find words to explain it any better than I already have. I think that it is one of the best movies I've ever seen. I agree. I had a number two. I, you're it is, on. and it is so good as just a visually told story. It's like, there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie um, that they re-released it in black and white and silent. And I have not seen that version, but I'm told it is excellent. Like it's just as good as seeing it in its original form. And that's a testament to how just good the story is being told to your eyes. I saw this one more than once in theaters. Again, a good criteria for if I liked a movie a lot. And I regret not seeing it in IMAX. And it's one of the few movies I can say that I regret not seeing it in IMAX. Because there are visuals that are seared into my mind. Like I can close my eyes and see parts of this movie. Because it was so good. And that's why, to me, Mad Max Fury Road was the best movie of the decade. Yeah, it's a extremely good. Um, it's so it's so kinetic. Um, it's uh, it's gorgeous. It's um, it, it embraces its own weirdness so so well. 
um, that uh, that you hardly even notice that it's weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like from the visuals, it doesn't it doesn't it somehow manages not to feel weird, even though what you're watching is incredibly strange. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I and I love it for that. Um, you know, it's it's an incredible action film. Um, full of in, just some of the most incredible stunts I, th- I think I've ever seen put to film. Just, you know, the, uh, and, and the fact that like, it's, it's really just like, it's a two hour car chase, really, when it gets yeah. right down to it. Which, and it's like, and it keeps, it keeps continuing to be compelling no matter Intense. yeah and and no matter like even even though you're essentially kind of watching the same thing and like throughout the movie uh, and that is uh, in and of itself really impressive yeah no yeah. it's it's great uh it's uh a testament to george miller as a director mm-hmm. and um it deserved the award nominations that it received in the year it came out and yeah. probably deserved more honestly yeah uh, it's a movie that I really loved when it came out and I still love just as much today. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it grows on you. Like it, you're just like, you think about it and you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. Longtime listeners of this show will know that I love Tom Hardy and oh, yeah. it, uh, I love all the, I love all of his weird character choices and it tickles me that he found a way to literally just grunt through a movie Yeah, <laughs> and make it work. Yeah. And make it work. No, highly. I think uh, all around. Um, if, if, in fact, I'd say if you if you listen to this podcast and you have heard no movies we mentioned or have seen no movies that we have mentioned, and you only watch one, I think this would be the one then, based on group consensus, to, yeah. to watch. Yeah, this is this placed highly on all three of our lists. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, if you've not seen it, do yourself the favor. And I dare say it probably placed highly on most people's decades. Yeah. List. I would be surprised if it didn't. Yeah. Indeed. It might not be everybody's number one, but it's my number yeah. one. Well, it wasn't Greg's number one. Greg, what was your number one? Uh, my number one was uh, was Arrival, which is uh, another Denny Villeneuve movie, the second one to be yeah. featured in the uh, in these top tens. And, yeah, uh, my number ten. And not starkly absent from uh, uh, Scott's list. Wait, because I picked Annihilation yeah, he, instead. He, yeah, well, well. <laughs> Which Liam disagree. was outraged I was by. not outraged. You're hyperbole. I just don't know how you put them next to each other. I'm, and I, I don't disagree The Rival's yeah. not a great film. In fact, I'll tell you, I saved this comment when you're talking about Arrival for now, or when you're talking about Annihilation for now. And the thing I liked about Arrival, one of the things, it was like, I felt like I got it, what it was trying to say without either feeling like yeah obviously that was a pretty clear metaphor and or i think i get it and annihilation made me feel a little bit stupid (laughs) whereas this movie was right across the plate where i'm like i get it and i feel smart for getting it and i feel like most people would get it because most people are smart you know what i mean like it just that's that's fair that that um first of all i love alien invasion movies and I've probably seen every iteration there probably can on, on, in, in movie form, and uh, and I kind of love them all, even the bad ones. Um, but um, Arrival to me is um, is something special. Um, the the core concept of the the sci-fi elements of this movie. First of all, it's it's like it's a it's a it's a really interesting uh, alien invasion flick, but also 
haunting mm-hmm. in ways. Um, uh, visually, um, the way that um, the aliens interact um, with the uh, with humans is is haunting, um, but also leads into this incredibly interesting um, idea about language and how language can like the type of language that you speak changes your perception of the world and and the idea in this movie is and I'm going to spoil a bunch of stuff here but like the the language that the aliens use um allow like once you learn it it allows you to uh perceive time non-linearly and and that that premise that idea when it was revealed I was just like this is that's so cool and interesting and just like fired all the my sci-fi neurons off of my brain and at the same time you know this movie is um you know tragic um you know it, it deals with um deals with loss in a really profound way amy adams character um loses her daughter and and and, and i've only actually seen this movie once and i'm not actually sure if i'll ever see it again because Eight months after this movie came out, I lost my son. And, uh, and you know, this movie teaches you that, you know, the, the core concept is, is like Amy Adams' character, you know, she chooses to go ahead with having her daughter, even though she knows that she's going to, to lose her daughter. And, um, you know, it, it's it, like looking back on it now, it really um, teaches me that you know the when you when you have a loss like that, it can it can really um, you know sometimes that you can only think about the loss as it is like the you can only think about the person in the context of the person that you lost and um, this movie helps you understand that like the peop- the, the the time that you have with people is just as important as the time that you don't have with people. Mm-hmm. And that is why Arrival's my number one. Yeah. It's uh, totally valid and uh, accurate. And show-stopping. Yep. I, I, I have nothing to add to that. No, it was, uh, it was a truly phenomenal, phenomenal piece of science fiction. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I knew, I knew I knew that was gonna like create a big weight in the show, and like, how do you? How, but I couldn't talk about no, Arrival course. without without talking about about Rory and and you of know course. we we lost him at, uh, at at when we were seven months pregnant, and um, I think for me, like understanding that you know even you know you you can question like you know if you knew that there was tragedy ahead, would you sidestep to avoid it? Or would you, or would you plow ahead? And 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 that's I think that's that's um, an interesting, it's a it's, it's an interesting thing to to grapple with, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I unfortunately because you know uh, my my son died before he was he was born. You know, it's it's it, it's an even bigger mindfuck for me because you know I never you know I never got to spend any any time with him you know and, and so you know the the concept of arrival was like you know would we would we still do things this in the same way is there anything that we would change and i, I know i kind of doubt it you want to experience everything um 
and and now I'm I think I'm just kind of <laughs> rambling. Yeah, but no, it's, it's, and that using that you know if you look at time non-linearly, you get a different perspective, and you can see the bigger picture of like you're yeah you're shaped by the experiences along the way, and they make one complete. Yeah, circle. And, it, and it just it, it's who you are. Like it, and, you know every everything that happens to you is it contributes to who you are. Good and good and bad. When we first started this episode and we were talking about what our criteria were for our top 10 lists. Mm -hmm. I had mentioned that your enjoyment of a movie and what you take out of a movie is very subjective. And so we're all going to have a different perspective of what makes the best movie of the last decade for us. And that speaks perfectly to that Mm -hmm. because you were able to experience that movie on a deeper level because of, how your experiences shaped you yeah and kind of retroactively even so though like it 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 uh it profoundly affected the way you interacted with that piece of art and that's that's why that movie became the number one movie of the decade for you and that is that just so perfectly wraps up this episode yeah because that's that's the thesis in a bow is that we all experience art differently and we all take away different things from them and we all enjoy them differently. Yeah. So I think that's an excellent point to maybe see what some of our fellow podcasters thought a few of their best movies. Yeah. Were. yeah. Let's hear from them. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas and a happy new year. This is Tony from the Flix X-Ray podcast here to give you my top 10 list over the past decade so i've kind of decided uh to do this a little differently we got 10 years i got 10 picks so i did one pick per year so here we go from uh the top starting in 2010 my favorite movie of 2010 was the town followed next up in 2011 the horror comedy cabin in the woods in 2012 uh also a horror comedy but this one aimed more at children it is the movie paranorman the stop-motion Marvel, where they actually started using 3D printing for creating character heads. Uh, followed after that, uh, in 2013, my favorite movie of that year was Pacific Rim. Who doesn't love giant robots fighting giant monsters? And uh, it really changed the whole genre and flipped it on its head. In uh, 2014, this was a hard one, but it com- when it comes down to it, I had to pick... The Grand Budapest Hotel. Who doesn't love uh, super stylized movies such as that? In 2015, my favorite movie of that year had to be The Martian. Um, That's when all the hype on everyone traveling to Mars started to really hit the head. And why not have a movie such as that? Uh, In 2016, again, this was a really, really hard one uh, to pick. Uh, I narrowed it down to two, which were Arrival and Deadpool. And I have to say Deadpool because I still watch that movie frequently. It's crazy funny, and it was just such a breath of fresh air when it comes to uh, those kind of movies. Uh, next up in 2017, uh, I have to pick The Shape of Water. I'm a big fan of Guillermo del Toro's movies, and I'm also a big fan of Creature from the Black Lagoon. So to see that movie, it was just so cool. Uh, in 2018, my favorite movie of that year was Into the Spider-Verse. Um this movie animated blew me away with how it looked. It's just so funny and so fresh. Uh, and then in 2019, so this year, it's a really hard call. There wasn't, in my opinion, there wasn't a lot of good films that came out this year. Um, but I would have to say 
toss-up between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, that movie was just so heartwarming. It made me cry multiple times in the theaters, but not like ugly sobbing because of sorrow, but because it was just so beautiful. So that is my top 10 list for the I Have Some Notes podcast. Have a happy new year, and I guess I'll catch you guys in maybe another decade. Bye-bye. Okay. Brianne here from Emily Misdoubt. Hello, I am Brianne's friend John. <laughs> yes, my movie friend John. And I so I've watched 65 films in the last two years with Emily. But That's I've amazing. watched probably hundreds with you. Yeah. Since we became friends in like eighth grade. And the only other time I've been on the podcast is when you were gone. Yeah. You uh, you sat in for uh Mallrats with Emily. That's right. And John is also uh, a former podcaster here in the city. Um, from the Bogey Talk podcast yes. that you did with your friend Jordan. All golf, all day. No, no. <laughs> That's all I got for that. Okay, so they only gave us three minutes. And we've already taken up two and a half, so let's go. <laughs> so let's start it off. You went year by year. I, I did. I did not, so I'm going to jump in as we go. <laughs> yeah, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. So you're going to jump in. So we'll start with 2010 because we yes. went 2010 to 2019. Yep. I had a tie. I went with the town in Inception. I did as well. Boom. 2011. 2011. The year I think I'm going to take a little bit of shit for from some of my fellow movie enjoyers. Okay. Ghost Protocol, the Mission Impossible fourth right. movie. Brad Bird, <laughs> Mr. Incredibles, the guy that did that movie that so many people love. I think he did an amazing job for a fourth movie in the franchise, following up J.J. Abrams' Mission Impossible 3, which I also enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So I'm going with that. Uh, I skipped 2011. Moving on. <laughs> 2012, I actually picked Argo. I went with Rust and Bone. I am a big Jacques Audiard fan. You'll have to send me the link on that one because I, I don't will. know that movie. I will. And also Looper because I, I can't not. Ryan Johnson. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Bruce the Willis. The chin. We're going to go with the chin. We're I said the eyes the originally when we first started talking about it, but whatever. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Right on. 2013. Man of Steel. 2014? 2014 <laughs> is the year that I went with Edge of Tomorrow. Though it's not on my list, I totally agree so with you. So you didn't have anything for 2014? I do. Oh. Yeah, I went with Whiplash. Oh, right. 2015? Tough one. Mm-hmm. I went with The Martian. I just, so many unique performances, and I thought I had a good positive message with everybody working together to get the astronaut home. Yeah. I, th- I think it was just something we needed that year, so I'm, I'm pulling for that one. Cool. I went opposite. I went Sicario. Sicario. Kill them all, man. And another tie into the other movies, Emily Blunt. 2016. Speaking of Denis Villeneuve. Yes. Arrival. Yes. Hands down. 2017. I went with Molly's Game. Aaron Sorkin for Molly's yep. Game. Like, how can you go wrong? 2018. I went with A Quiet Place. Uh, I went with The Favorite because I am a Yorgos Lanthimos fan. 2019. Yes. I was split between Joker and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Right. Two completely separate reasons. I went with Joker as well. I do not want to watch that movie again, but I am seriously glad for every uncomfortable moment of watching it. Thank you for doing this with me, John. Thanks I for having me. Much appreciated. I look forward to watching another 20 years of movies with you. Yes. Um, we can do some fill-in episodes for your other podcasts. Sure. Emily Missed Out, which yes. you can find us at emilymissedout.com. We thank you very much, uh, the fellows at I Have Some Notes, for letting us uh, be a part of this. And uh, have a happy and safe holidays, everyone. Hello, I'm Robin Taylor. I am the glorious leader of the Church of the Moving Picture Cinematological 
Thank you to I Have Some Notes for allowing me to contribute a 10-movie list of my best 10 films of the decade. I'm going to warn you, this list is weird. Right off the bat, I'm going to give Hustlers, a 2019 film starring Jennifer Lopez, a true crime story, a special nod, a special mention, uh, because it's a great movie. I really enjoyed it. Number nine, French film called Rubber. It's about a sentient tire. I really encourage you to go see it. It is artful and beautiful. It is surreal. Number eight, Colossal. It's an Anne Hathaway movie that seems like a kaiju movie, but it's actually about spousal abuse. Number seven is Hugo in 3D. It was a masterpiece. It's a great children's film. It's beautiful. It's a love letter to film. Number six is Ex Machina. This film is Alex Garland's directorial debut. It is astonishingly beautiful. The production design, the effects. Number five is Guillermo del Toro's masterpiece, The Shape of Water. Guillermo del Toro distilled down to his most basic and purest art form. Number four is Sorry to Bother You by Boots Riley. I thought this film, when it came out in 2018, was transformational. Not enough people saw it. That is incredible in talking about the gig economy, talking about people of color. It is extraordinary. It is artful. It is imaginative. It is a singular voice. Fury Road, Mad Max. Some people might say, why wasn't that number one? And I'll tell you why isn't number one, because I like two other movies better. Fury Road is a propulsive, kinetic punch to the face. It is an incredible achievement. It is an extraordinary piece of filmmaking, and it is on the thinnest of premises. If you haven't seen it, you should. And if you have seen it, see it again. It'll keep surprising you. Extraordinary achievement. My number two film, Arrival by Denis Villeneuve. When I had the same moment in the movie theater that Amy Adams' lead character has where there is a sudden realization on the audience and in the character of what the nature of this story is and how it's being told, it was devastating and beautiful. It is one of the most stunning performances I've ever seen from an actor in a film. My number one movie is probably an odd choice. But it's Duncan Jones' debut, Moon, starring Sam Rockwell. This film was powerful and meaningful in ways that it's it's hard to describe but it's an existential sci-fi movie this is a movie that is never going to leave me because the the final reveal of this film is so gut-punchingly devastating in terms of what it means to be this person in this situation that it is haunting and it is the kind of thing that if it does touch you the way it touched me uh, you'll think about it for the rest of your life because it'll make you ask questions about your own purpose and what really makes a person a person. That's it. That's my top 10 movies of the decade. Weird list. I dig them. I hope you check them out. Thanks. I have some notes. Thank you so much for those who contributed uh, with your thoughts. Uh, please follow all of the podcasts that we heard from. They do fantastic work. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at I Have Some Notes. Uh, if you like the show, please consider a rate and review on iTunes. It really helps us out. Uh, I also suspect in the show notes we'll have our top 10 list if you wanted to go back and review. uh, That is where you can uh, find that information. Uh, You can uh, find all of our episodes on the CKUA radio app. Download it from the Apple App Store. Remember to check out all of our sibling podcasts over on the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We we post new episodes every second week, so tune in two weeks from now for our bonus episode, the sort of top 10 aftermath. Uh, all the all the junk we couldn't fit into this nice, neat top ten format. Yeah, all the movies we couldn't talk and talk about, but maybe wanted to. This will be where I gush about all the Marvel movies collectively. Yeah, yeah things like that, uh, and uh, some other wild ones that maybe didn't make the cut. So, 
Uh, thank you so much, and uh, thank you for a great decade of film and film discussion uh, to our listeners, uh, to our uh, sponsors, to our sibling podcasts on the CKUA radio app. Uh, happy holidays, and uh, thank you for a great decade. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Liam Kreswick. I'm Greg Beaver. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. Keep watching the skies. And the movies. <laughs> This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by TELUS World of Science Edmonton, home of the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. The exhibition runs October 19th to February 17th. 2019 marks the 80th anniversary of Marvel. You can buy your tickets today at TELUSWorldOfScienceEdmonton.ca. That's TELUSWorldOfScienceEdmonton.ca.